every big business was once a medium-sized business, was once a small business, was once a startup. And I don't care what company is, Fortune 1 to Fortune 5000, all of them started as somebody's crazy idea that nobody believed in. So I think we lose GDP every year because the brilliant ideas that reside on the south side of the tracks of every city in America never reach the marketplaces they don't believe they belong. So we start with belonging. We didn't want to create a space just to teach entrepreneurship. We wanted to create a space that was a tool for the entrepreneur and they're better every time they walk in the building. This is Forces for Good, a podcast from B-Lab, the nonprofit network powering the global B Corp movement. I'm your host, Irving Chan Gomez. Driving positive impact for people and the planet takes collaboration, innovation, and inspiration. That's why we're partnering with the Known North America, one of the largest certified B corporations, to feature live conversations from the 2023 Aspen Ideas Festival. We're bringing you to the middle of this festival. So in the background, you may hear people and vehicles passing by, the occasional smoothie bike running, and the joyful voices of our fellow attendees. This special series will share groundbreaking ideas and stories about putting purpose into action. Business has the capacity to be a force for good. Whether it's one person just starting out on their entrepreneurial journey or a Fortune 500 company. But as today's guest reminded me, every company starts out small. Every company starts out as someone's crazy idea. And to make a difference in the world, we have to foster that crazy idea, no matter who came up with it. That means creating equal access and opportunity. And that's exactly what the Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs does. Jay Bailey is the president and CEO of the Russell Center. And how he got there is absolutely fascinating. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jay as much as I did. How are you today? Today's a good day. It's Thursday in Aspen. Perfect. Yeah. So usually before we jump into like the work that you do, super interesting. I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Ah, okay. So like, who is Jay? How did you get here? Can you give me just a quick background story? Oh man, who is Jay and how did I get here? I've got a really interesting story, man. I'm the kid that started his first business at 12. Bought my first house at 19. Oh, wow. Made my first million by the time I was 23. But that's not the celebration story because by the time I was 28, I went from living in a 10,000 square foot home to literally living in a nine by nine storage unit, homeless. Mm. It was there that I kind of realized by the world standards, I've been successful, cars, clothes, houses, and all that kind of cool stuff. I was successful, but I had zero significance. I had done nothing to put a dent in this world. I had done nothing to change anyone's life. And there's a reason for that. And we may get into that later. But once I started changing my focus to significance, everything changed. Within four years out of homelessness, I was running a $30 million nonprofit organization in 10 countries, retired at the age of 39, made my soon-to-be wife a promise that I would never get another job again, but I had to break that promise. 
because there are very few times in life where you get to be a part of something you know will outlast you. Mm. And there are even rarer moments where you get to be a part of something that could potentially change the course of history. And I found that opportunity with Russell Center. Hmm. I think you bring two points that I found like worth exploring a bit more. One of them is this idea of significance. Hmm. I think it's the first time that like I hear that term used for like sure. what other people might use like as purpose or, you know, like goals, mission, etc. I think it's an interesting use of the word. And another one, it's about like, jobs versus passion and sure. something that like brings that in. It could be also how you sustain yourself, but also not necessarily. So I think I want to go deeper into a little bit of that and like just to understand how does that personal journey influence now your work at Russell Innovation Center? It's a personal journey and it kind of built our model based on my own story. Okay. You know, the things that I did not have, you know, our model is a little bit different from the typical incubator accelerator. We focus on the whole entrepreneur. I can't just focus on curriculum. Right. I think so many programs only focus on being informative. Our goal has to be to be transformative. So I got to look at the whole entrepreneur as well. If I ignore the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, the isolation that goes along with an entrepreneurial journey. If I don't kind of focus on self-esteem, self-confidence, belief, lack, all these things that are very, very present in the lives of someone that's trying to create something, we're going to miss the mark. Huh. Can you tell us a little bit about the center? Like, what do you do? What the goal is? I know you support around 300 entrepreneurs directly today and have a goal of reaching about a thousand in the next five years. Yeah. Can you tell us, like, what do you do? So it's hard to talk about our work without talking about the man a little bit to give mm -hmm. a little bit of historical context. H.J. Russell was one of the most prolific entrepreneurs Atlanta's ever produced. You got to think of a, a black man over 80 years ago, Jim Crow segregated South. This is the brother that had a pool inside his house at the age of 30, mm -hmm. where a young Dr. King used to go and swim and try to figure out how to change the world. Uh, he integrated our chambers of commerce at the city and the state level, built half of the skyline in the city. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, the space that I occupy now was his original headquarter building. His brother had the audacity to build a headquarter building that's a full city block wide and 50,000 square feet 78 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he didn't put some fake name on it. He named it H.J. Russell and Company. He built it directly across the street from Morehouse, Clark, Spellman, Morris, Brown, ITC. These are storied HBCUs that are right across the street from our building. He did that because back then students couldn't go to mainstream institutions like Georgia Tech or Emory or the University of Georgia. And he knew that as they matriculated as college students... They needed to see the physical manifestation of what was possible for people that looked like them. Mm -hmm. Brilliant beyond just beyond his time. And so what we carry forward with the Russell Center is creating this safe space for black entrepreneurs to fail and fly, mm. to really live at the nexus of access, opportunity and exposure, to not just focus on curriculum. Let's focus on community, culture, covenant first. Hmm. You start to touch on this of how supporting entrepreneurs is going beyond just the curriculum. It's about like looking at the people as a whole. Can you tell us a bit more like how you do that and sure. how have you like managed to integrate so many different partners and so many different aspects into this holistic view of entrepreneurial support? So I think we lose GDP every year because the brilliant ideas that reside on the south side of the tracks of every city in America mm -hmm. never reach the marketplaces they don't believe they belong. So we start with belonging. So it's everything from wellness around having psychologists and psychiatrists. We didn't want to create a space just to teach entrepreneurship. 
We wanted to create a space that was a tool for the entrepreneur. And they're better every time they walk in the building. If you ever visit the Russell Center in Atlanta, everything that you experience is done by one of our entrepreneurs. This sweatshirt that I'm wearing, one of our entrepreneurs. This watch that I'm wearing, one of our entrepreneurs. This hat was purchased from a store that is run by one of our entrepreneurs. Um, Our architecture, our general contractors, the plants, our AV, our low voltage, the snacks we eat, the water we drink, all our entrepreneurs. We Mm -hmm. really walk the talk with this fierce intentionality of what it means to be supportive of one another. And I think that inclusive feeling, that safe space that they have, and this proven and very present counter narrative of how community can come together Mm -hmm. is apparent as soon as you walk through the door. So I think those things go far beyond curriculum. And I think one of the things that will make us most successful is not what we teach the entrepreneurs, but rather how we make them feel. Mm. So just to give you a bit more context, I'm from Mexico and I've been in the U.S. for about 10 years now. And in this work, like working with businesses, working with entrepreneurs. And at some point I was reflecting around, like when we think about like, better practices, like entrepreneurship in itself and thinking about like my own experiences, my family and realizing I'm like, yeah, like my mom is the best, like most ecological person. Like she wouldn't like even waste like a yogurt tub. Like it's like, oh no, I'll put my stuff in here. That's right. Things like that. And also like thinking about like, maybe they wouldn't call themselves entrepreneurs, but they're like, oh no, we're hustlers. We're like, we're going to make this work. Oh, come on, man. So thinking about that and thinking about like, especially in this country where some of these communities haven't had that level of access. Sure. Right. But that they're still making and finding ways to make it through and not only doing that, but thriving. So with that in mind, why is entrepreneurship important? Well, just on its face, our economy doesn't work without small businesses. And if we want to get really real, Every big business was once a medium-sized business, was once a small business, was once a startup. And I don't care what company is. Fortune 1 to Fortune 5,000, all of them started as somebody's crazy idea that nobody believed in. Right. So small business and entrepreneurship is what creates jobs. It's what drives the economy. America, the world, the global economy does not exist without those people that take risks. But when you talked about your mother, I say it a lot. If you want to talk about innovation, find me somebody more innovative on the planet than a single mother with two kids making 17,000 a year. The way she problem solves, the way her grit, her determination. How does she smile at Christmas when there's nothing under the tree? There's nothing in the refrigerator and there's nothing in the cabinets, but she still makes it work. Mm -hmm. Put that same heart, your mother's heart. And send it through Wharton or Harvard Business School and give her access, opportunity and exposure. Everything changes. And I think the only difference between the north side of the tracks and the south side of the tracks in every city in the world is literally access, opportunity and exposure. Thank you for that, because I think you're getting to the point around almost this saying of like it takes a village, it takes that ecosystem and also the recognition that that value it's inherent to anyone and it's about the access and the circumstances that they're put around that can allow us or prevent us to succeed. Sure. You've mentioned Atlanta in particular as this ground zero for black entrepreneurial excellence. Yes. Um, So I think for other cities, for other organizations that are trying to replicate that model, that are trying to support black people of color, indigenous entrepreneurs, 
what are some of the elements that are needed to be present? Like, what are some of those aspects of that ecosystem, community, however you want to call it, that need to be in place for that to be successful? I think intentionality is a real word for a number of different reasons. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about brown and black populations, so many times the efforts that are given to them are seen through a really paternalistic lens. Mm -hmm. Let me just kind of pat you people on the head. And isn't it nice that you open that little lemonade stand? It's really hard to see empowerment through a charity lens. So other markets that are trying to do this, you can't look at it as less than. You can't look at it as a charitable endeavor. You can't look at it as if we're doing something for those people. Mm -hmm. If you were an economist and you looked at the demographics of your city and you started to chart out economic growth and you've got a segment of your population that is not doing or contributing to the economic growth of your city, town, state, what have you. It only makes sense that if you supercharge the resources, access, opportunity, and exposure of that subset or demographic, that you would see exponential hockey stick growth in your economy in a way that you couldn't doing what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. It's a business case. And so I think I implore anyone that we talk to globally, certainly nationally, about how you look at growing and creating these ecosystems. It really starts with your intention. Is it to do something nice for the community or is it actually to grow the economy? Mm. If it's to do something nice for the community, open a community center. If you're trying to drive the economy, focus on entrepreneurs. Because we're at the Aspen Ideas Festival, let's take a short break from this conversation to hear from other attendees. We asked, how can business have a positive impact on society? Here's one that echoes Jay's point. This is Eleanor Allen. I'm the lead executive at B-Lab Global. And I believe that businesses can create a positive impact on society by really taking responsibility for their impact on the world. This can be positive impact or negative impact. But what they acknowledge as their role in whether it's a product or a service and how to make a world a better place for people, the planet and the communities. And we would love to be part of that journey as B-Lab and through our B-Impact assessment and perhaps even becoming B Corp. So we'll meet you where you are and we'll help you on your journey. I want to talk a bit about the entrepreneurs you work with. How are they supporting or responding to the different social and environmental issues that their own communities are facing? How is that social and environmental aspect integrated as part of the work they do? You know, we, we channel it. Mm-hmm. And so for all of the micro aggressions that exist, we lean into them in a way that we don't ignore them. So that creates this undergirding of power that I'm, I'm seeing. Put it this way. If you're black, brown or a woman, your entire life, you've been told you got to be twice as sharp, three times as smart, five times as on point just to compete with mediocre. And that gets really heavy. And you never get to take off the mask and you never get to lay down your guard and you never get to be vulnerable to ask a question. We can talk about the issues because you're not going to walk through the Russell Center after George Floyd is murdered and nobody talk about it versus many people that work in corporate America. As a black man, I walk into an office and literally a man was killed in broad daylight on, on film and nobody says a word about it. 
Right. And I got to eat that and I got to internalize that and I got to go to the bathroom and cry about it. I got to go home and cry about it because nobody in my space is even concerned about it. Hmm. That's absolutely soul crushing. But you still have to perform at a very high level, although your soul is crushed. Mm-hmm. We've created this space that allows us to lean into absolutely who we are and everything that we bring to the table. And in bringing that to the table, we've created this amazing space that allows us to say, yeah, the world is what it is. But our job is not to beat the odds. Our job is to change them. Mm. Can you give us an example or a couple of the type of work that your entrepreneurs are doing, like paint a picture for us? Man, we got great entrepreneurs. I mean, I'll go with who I think will be our first billion dollar company. Shout out to Dal Avant, the founder and CEO of Aquagenuity. This sister is a double Harvard superhero. She has the largest water quality database on the planet. Wow. As water becomes more and more of a commodity, she's going to be at the center point of having all the data to support how we manage water quality around the world. She's a rock star. I've got Zoe Oli, who's our youngest entrepreneur, 11-year-old phenom. I think she did a million five last year in revenue. She started her business because she, her, she couldn't find dolls in the store that looked like her and had hair like her. So she asked her mom at the age of seven if they could start a company. And it's so beautiful. For every doll that's purchased retail, they give a doll to someone that couldn't afford it. Hmm. I think you bring up a good point around this concept of small businesses, the role that they play. And I would go as far as to say, not just a small business, but even the informal sector. So thinking about that, what difference do you see small businesses making in communities and why are they important? Oh, We need a whole other hour. We have time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> small businesses have always been the backbone of every community. Mm-hmm. If you think back to your days, you know, playing Little League Baseball and you saw the businesses with their placards on the back of the fence. Small businesses create the jobs that people in communities work. They bring the hope. They bring the aspiration. Even me, the way that I became an entrepreneur, my entrepreneurial story, how I got here. I'm riding my bike to the barber shop, local small business, community business. Hmm. I pull up and there's a black on black convertible Mustang GT 5.0 parked illegally in front of the barber shop. I run in the barber shop. I'm 11 years old. I'll never forget it. I drop my bike and I run in at 11. I scream, whose car is that? My barber's cutting somebody's head and he just kind of gives me the nod. That's the universal brother symbol for that's me. And uh, when I hop in his chair, I'm like, From where I was from, with a car that nice, there's only one thing that you could possibly do. Mm. And when I hop in his chair, I'm like, John, I know you're a dope boy. And he screamed at me, dropped the big F word on me, shut the F up and turn around and count how many shares are in this shop. I said, I don't know, 10. So well, each one of these barbers pays me $50 a week to cut hair in my shop. Jay, do the math. You're smart. So I started doing the math. He says, hold on, before you finish, boy, I got two more shops just like this. Finish the math. Mm-hmm. So little Jay Bailey started adding zero 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 comma <laughs> zero and he said it he said son i'm an entrepreneur boy i own my business mm-hmm. what you need to do is go find you something you love and go make money doing it mm. it's hard not to be like inspired talking to you oh and man for sure i imagine you have a plan like what is your goal what is your vision like how are you building these systems of hope at scale Total world domination. <laughs> um, you know, we're a bit of a nonprofit unicorn story. Mm. 
I was here in 2019 for my first Aspen Ideas Festival with not a dollar, with no staff, just a big vision about what I wanted to create. I happened to meet Dan Schulman, the CEO and president of PayPal. He became an investor in our work. So we've not been doing this very long. We've gone from zero people, gutted out building, no staff, no anything, to four and a half years later, we support 360 entrepreneurs full time. We touch about 10,000 annually. We've raised a little north of $58 million in that time. And we've got a waiting list of like 486 people as we speak. Hmm. We're at the Aspen Ideas Festival. You mentioned it's not your first time. Two questions related to that. One, what are some of the ideas from the festival that have inspired you, Hmm. that you've carried with you, that have helped you in your trajectory? You know, the first time I had an experience that I could not believe, like I couldn't even tell my friends about it because they would tell me I'm full of it. (laughs) I'm sitting on a bench eating a hot dog. And as close as you are to me is Mark Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. eating a hot dog. (laughs) And he's not like got a thousand people around him. It's not like he's got Secret Service or anything else. It's just Mark Mm -hmm. eating a hot dog on a bench next to me. You know, I think what this space does and the beauty of it is it's it's the coming together of of incredible minds, curious minds, not led necessarily by titles. Mm-hmm. You and I may never sit down t- together and have a conversation because the world moves in a way where it doesn't allow us to slam into each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, but I'm coming to Atlanta. No, no, bro. Now you're <laughs> completely welcome. Right. And so. I think that's the power of bringing people together when we understand our common humanity, mm-hmm. you know, it expands beyond any type of systemic block that allows us to think that we're different. Any opportunity for the two of us to just share in the most authentic and vulnerable way, away from our lives where our positions and our possessions matter most. Something powerful happens when we allow ourselves to be human again, because far too often, if you're black, brown or a woman, you don't get to be human very often. This allows us to be even just for a little bit. Yeah. And what could happen if we were able to do that all the time? Brother, I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. This is the final episode of our series featuring live conversations from the 2023 Aspen Ideas Festival. We'd like to thank the Known North America for their partnership on this series and all of our guests for their groundbreaking ideas. We hope you continue to follow us on social media for news and exciting updates from all of us at Forces for Good and B-Lab. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Your ratings and reviews help Forces for Good reach new audiences. So we thank you for your support. For more opportunities to engage with us, follow us on social media. The views and opinions expressed are those of the interviewees and do not reflect the positions or opinions of the producers or any affiliated organizations. This podcast was brought to you by B-Lab and Danone. Our team includes Sherry Jordan and Erin Brooks. Forces for Good is produced by Human Group Media. I'm your host, Irving Chan Gomez. Thanks for listening. 
and I look forward to catching you in the next episode.